Amanda. Clay. Do you like scary movies? Yeah. Yeah, I think I do. Do you like scary movies? I do, and I think a lot of other people do, too. And we cover a lot on our show. But there are a lot that I think people are fans of that we don't cover, like, say, uh, Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The the Dream (laughs) Master, or whatever. All of the Halloween franchise? All of the Halloween, minus two of them, I guess. But we want to change that, because Halloween is approaching. It's very spooky time. We want to give you more horror movie content. So what we'd like to do is on Patreon, we would like to start covering these franchise movies one by one so we can really dig into, you know, the worst that horror movies have to offer instead of the best. (laughs) But in order to do that, we have to hit a certain level of fundraising on our Patreon, which you can help us do. So if you like what you hear on Rotten Horror Picture Show, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Penske file and uh, sign up. And if we reach our goal then we'll be bringing you more horror movie coverage, and you'll also get access to all the other stuff we do at the Penske File, which includes other sci-fi film reviews, Star Trek rewatches, content consumption discussions, and so many other things. I don't know how, how we have time to do any of this. It's a lot. It's a lot of, a lot of material. It really is, and I yeah. <laughs> don't have a job currently. Um <laughs> Even more reason for you to sign up for the Patreon. So if, if you'd like to do that, Amanda and I would love to bring you some more horror movie content. So uh, thank you guys and happy early Halloween. Spooky Halloween. Hey everyone, welcome again to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the podcast, the horror movie podcast where we talk about movies off of the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best Horror Movies of All Time list. My name is Clay and with me as always is Amanda. Amanda, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, if you're listening to this, you're probably thinking, wait, this isn't Wreck. Uh, they said they were <laughs> going to do Wreck next time. And we were, but we realized that this episode was going to be our Halloween show, and mm-hmm. Wreck doesn't exactly scream Halloween as much as it screams uh, yeah. too real at this point. Um, yeah, seriously. So we called an audible, and we're going to do Fright Night tonight, which is a, uh, I, I think a, a very, a very uh, appropriate ha- Halloweeny type movie. I think. Yeah, it's pretty much a classic. I think so too. Uh, it's number 110 on our list, uh, and it has a 92% Rotten Tomato score with a 94.263 adjusted score. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's weird. These things continue to be so strange because it's like 92%, but it's 110. It's, it's fairly high. This was... <laughs> this is pretty high. Yeah. It hasn't broken the, uh, the, shining, um, the shining barrier yet, but uh, it's, it's, it's pretty close. Mm. Um, had you seen this before? 
I had like a really, really long time ago to the point where I almost forgot that mm. I had seen it until I was sort of, I, I think I blended this and like the monster squad in my head. Sure. They are very similar in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One is like, what if the kid was 12 and this one's what if the kid was 18 or whatever? Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when I when I read like the little blurb about this, I was like, oh, oh shit, I do know this movie. Yeah. So I was, I was excited. Yeah, this one, you know, this is a weird movie for me because the first time I saw it, I did not care for it, but it it just has something about it that stuck out to me and like kind of stuck with me. And so I kept going back to it maybe, I don't mm. know, maybe every year or so around Halloween, I'd be like, yeah, I'll throw Fright Night on. And yeah. it has it I I still I I still I don't think it's a better movie than I I did initially. <laughs> But I, I do really, really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. The performances are, are really unique. The cast is really great. <laughs> unique uh, is a very uh, diplomatic way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the music is really uh, stands out. And it's, it's very much a quintessential 1980s uh, horror comedy. Um, yes. In a way uh, that, that you don't get too much of anymore. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we're going to take a quick break. We'll play the trailer and then we will uh, get into it. What would you do if you accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human? Something horrifying. Something unspeakably evil. No one believes you. Nightmare. Not your mom. They did kill a girl over there. Not your girlfriend. Charlie, is this some sort of a trick to get me back? Not even the police. Look, I know it's crazy. I know that, but look, Lieutenant! It knows that you know. You'll do anything to protect yourself. But it will do anything to protect its secret. This could be the night of your life. Okay, Fright Night or Fright Night. <laughs> Number 110 on our list, directed by Spider-Man himself, Tom Holland. <laughs> Written by Tom Holland, starring Chris Sarandon, William Ragsdale, Amanda Bierce, Roddy McDowell, Stephen Jeffries, and a boatload of repressed sexuality. Mm. Amanda, what happens in this film? Teenage Charlie Brewster is a horror film junkie, so it's no surprise that when a reclusive new neighbor named Jerry Dandridge moves in next door, Brewster becomes convinced he is a vampire. It's also no surprise when nobody believes him. Mm -hmm. However, after strange events begin to occur, Charlie has no choice but to turn to the only person who could possibly help washed-up television vampire killer, Peter Vincent. Mm. That's what the synopsis says. (laughs) So, Clay, Mm. 
A few things you will find in this movie include... Hit me. Call girls who take cabs to the suburbs at 4 p.m. That's just being polite. Yeah, they're just very punctual. Uh, The Gap's 1985 fall vampire line. Great, great, great wide, wide collars and stuff. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Lots of sweaters with very loose necks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Teeth. Yep. Lots of teeth in this movie. Lots of teeth in this movie. (laughs) Um, Questionable policing. Mm -hmm. And of course, questionable parenting. Gotta have it. This movie was a uh, goddamn home run for questionable parenting. Oh, yeah. yeah, there's yeah. A, there's you know it's it's a it's such a very specific type of questionable parenting in these movies <laughs> in these movies from the eighties, as where, in like absentee parenting. Yeah, it's like and but she, <laughs> Charlie's mom isn't. At, I guess she is absent for like the second half of the movie, but she's like. She's like trying to make an effort, but she's also trying to be like the cool mom who's like more of a friend. And I, yeah. I, I feel like that's that's the way a lot of these parents are in these eighties movies. It's either it's either they're they're absent or they're they're not um they're they're trying to be unconventional and neither way seems to work. Yeah, yeah. Like the the scene like the scene where you're introduced to Charlie's mom. She says to her 17-year-old son um, and his similarly aged girlfriend. Even though they both look like they're 40. Oh, my God. They both look like they're like 42. Um, But the mom says to them, oh, were you having a lover's lover's quarrel Mm -hmm. or a lover's spat or something? Mm -hmm. And then when when, when Charlie is, as a teenage boy, would be like, mom, stop it. She's like, oh, no, no, this book about divorce says that it's important that you fight, that you're able to fight before you get married. Hmm. That's, I mean, like, that's, ah. that's, just, uh, that's just good storytelling because the mom is clearly divorced. <laughs> so you're getting a little bit of insight into which, where she's coming from and how she doesn't want to pass on her failing marriage to her son. Uh, and that's what yeah. this movie's really about, is about a mother <laughs> trying to prevent her son from making bad romantic decisions. Yeah, yeah, that's what this movie is about for about 38 seconds. Mm-hmm. Well, what it's really about, uh it's yes. it's a really it's a fairly classic setup. Like what I one of the things that I really appreciate about this is how just it's just a uh it's it's a it's a such a um uh, uh I just didn't want to say classic again, but I'm going to uh, it's a <laughs> it's it. a it's a classic setup of the uh, the very very much rear window type thing where it's someone's being nosy and their nosiness gets them in trouble uh, mm. and starts to um, th- their nosiness causes them to think a certain way. Where traditionally in these stories, you f- the the person who's being nosy finds out that all of the uh, evil and maliciousness they perceive is is not that at all. But the twist in this is that he is a hundred percent correct. In that yeah. his next door neighbor is a vampire <laughs> and is murdering people in his town. But is it is it a twist? Because we we realize as an audience pretty quickly that sure. he's right. It's not it's not a twist in like the classic sense of it. It's it's just a twist on that sort of that sort of. Oh, I get uh, what you're saying. Okay, story okay. structure. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, which I think makes for a really fun movie because my favorite stuff in this movie is the scenes where Charlie 
knows that Jerry's a vampire. Jerry knows that Charlie knows he's a vampire, but nobody else in the scene knows that Jerry's a vampire. <laughs> and yes. so it's it's a lot of like shooting looks at each other and and you know innuendo in the way they're saying stuff and uh my, there's so much innuendo in this movie <laughs> of all the things in this movie uh the characters the music the 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 great special effects um my favorite scene in this movie is when they go to jerry's house and have him drink the holy water because yeah the way that jerry or sarandon plays it is even though uh Peter Vincent is doesn't believe anything that's going on. He's like, ah, it's just gonna be water, just do it to make it's gonna be tap water, just do it to make the kid feel better. Jerry still is a little bit hesitant to do it just in case it is actually holy water and they're pulling one over on him. And right. that that little bit of acting is just my my favorite favorite part of this movie. I can see that. No, I I, I love that scene. I <laughs> I think my favorite my favorite scene might be when Amy, Charlie's girlfriend mm-hmm. and his friend question mark they uh, have, evil uh, evil Ed. Yeah, they seem to be friends by like necessity more than the fact that <laughs> Right, right, by like the transitive property of high school or something. Right, yeah. I don't know. Um, when, when the two of them show up to Charlie's house and they, they, they go into his room and they open the door and he's like transformed his bedroom into like a Catholic shrine. Yes. Like, like he had just just watched Carrie and really liked the decor (laughs) in Carrie's house. Exactly. And he's just sitting there like whittling the fence posts into stakes and they're like, Hey, how you doing, buddy? (laughs) And he's like. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm just going to murder my neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all these candles. I love that scene. That's the other thing that I think is hilarious about this is how um, how uh, uh, reasonable everyone is about Charlie's perceived insanity. Like they're treating him, taking him to Jerry's house to do this fake like vampire <laughs> test. They're treating him like he's a six-year-old and not someone who is old enough and capable enough to actually commit murder. <laughs> Right, like, like, and so, so that's why in our in our things you'll find in this movie, I threw in the questionable police work mm. because, like, all right, so Charlie becomes convinced that his new neighbor in the spooky house next door is a vampire, and he immediately calls the police to to because he thinks he thinks Jerry the mm-hmm. vampire <laughs> vampire Jerry has been killing women in the mm. town. It's actually it's actually something that you don't see in these movies very often is where his first instinct is to call the police and he actually right. does it. Yeah, which is kind of interesting, but then like so the cop the cop brings this teenage boy who is like informing to them? Yes. to the potential serial killer's house. Right. Yes. Yeah. And just like, he's like, yeah, yeah, come on in. We're going to confront this guy who you're pretty sure is killing people. And this guy's a lieutenant who's made detective. He's not new on the squad. (laughs) But it's just so like, why would you bring... Like, I kept thinking over and over again while I watched this movie, these kids are underage. Yes, yes. Like, (laughs) it loses sight of that real fast. Yeah. Well, you know... One of the things I did want to bring up is this is actually a really good uh, movie 
to talk about my uh, narrative cone of vision theory. <laughs> yes, yes. Because by using the cops the way that they do, they take that element off the table very quickly. And mm. it keeps it keeps everything fairly focused in. So your your action is only surrounding uh, Jerry and Charlie and Amy and Evil. Uh, the oh, however, I will say they do break outside of that a little bit in the club scene where Jerry just kills two guys for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> also, I just like the club. Mm-hmm. It's just it's so stupid. Well, if if that if that club scene was ninety minutes long and in black and white with subtitles, it would just be a girl who walks home alone at night. Aww, I'm saying that's a compliment. <laughs> oh my god, yeah th- this this movie does do the sort of um the the the, the sort of narrative cone as we've termed it. Mm-hmm. In a really interesting way, because it it is very, you know, there there are there are extras and sort of background characters, but the central cast remains pretty tight. Um, if anything, you know, probably halfway through the movie, it actually sheds a couple people. Mm, yeah, um, the, like, the mom like Char- just the mom just disappears. Yeah, exactly. Um. But at the same time, we also sort of get this, like, like I, we were kind of joking before about, you know, this sort of offhand comments about Charlie's mom being divorced. And then we know that they're high school students. We see them in, in high school briefly. It, mm-hmm. That feels a little bit like a, like it maybe didn't really need to be included. Sure. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like it was included because the demographic of, of you know, the audience demographic. Yeah, I think so. This movie probably wanted to reach at the time was, you know, like teenagers. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, can you can you do a teenager movie that doesn't have them either in school or at a summer camp? You know, like you have to you have to show that they are teenaged somehow. So it can't just be like this is in the middle of summer vacation because if it is, then it usually takes place at a summer camp. And if it's during yeah, the school year, they have to have a scene when they're at school. That's very true. I, I, I think the, the closest thing I can get to that, and it's not quite right, is uh, I know what you did last summer. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's then, true. They- yeah. Yeah, but but they're technically not really high school students because it, it happens when they graduate high school in the summer between that and college. Yeah, yeah. So even that's a little bit of a stretch, but it's it's approaching. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a cutscene from that movie where it's like the last day of class or something before they go into graduation or some shit like that. But they. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, like a a, a, a scream style. Like sitting outside on this luxurious, right. enormous high school campus in California. Yeah, but yeah, this one, this <laughs> one is weird when it comes to that that narrative cone thing because they do it, they do keep it very uh, uh, focused in on these characters, but there is a lot of action that just like splays outside of this of of this tight circle because you know they get rid of Charlie's mom, but they also have the scene where evil fights uh, Peter Vincent and gets staked and dies in, in Charlie's house. And so theoretically (laughs) 
when she comes home, she's going to wonder why the banister of the stairs is busted and there's a dead boy <laughs> in her living room. It's going to bring up a lot of questions that she clearly doesn't have at the end when everything's back to normal. Yeah, it's also just a very, like, that's a very time-consuming scene. Yeah. And also, like, I think what it what it brings to, the, the point that it brings up for me is, like, that stuff doesn't matter. Like, that's the point. Like, <laughs> asking those questions, I feel like people are just doing it to be snarky. Because, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what happens outside the, the, the core of the story, you know? Yeah, I mean, this this movie is very much um, like a prime example of the sort of like 80s teen focused movies where, mm-hmm. yeah, to like sort of ask these questions is almost like, like you're either just going to drive yourself crazy by asking these kind of questions right. or you're trying to like, poke holes in it and 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 like poke holes in a logic that the movie itself doesn't really claim to have right and like that's just that's just takes the fun out of everything yeah like nobody's nobody's watching back to the future going i wonder how the the libyan terrorists found got to california (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah yeah and and similarly in this movie you're not you're not wondering why how or why jerry dandridge or dandridge i think it's dandridge yes yeah um you're like his past his history isn't really something that comes up you just know he's a vampire and therefore he's probably older than he looks but like we don't worry about his origin story we don't ask ourselves how has he ended up in this small town? It, it's all kind of like it's so besides the point. God, I if I have, ne- I would. <laughs> could you imagine if there was a scene where Jerry just like talked about his past? <laughs> <laughs> like if ever if ever there was a scene that I would specifically hate it because I mean this is another one where it's you're the information you're getting about the characters is the information you're getting from the action of the story, and it you, you get everything you need about everybody's relationships and and because you're you're seeing how they relate to each other through the action of the story you don't need any any background stuff uh you don't need that peripheral stuff it's actually it's actually a pretty tight story in that in that sense yeah the only place the only place where for me it sort of starts to veer off is um the whole amy looks like his dead oh sure yeah beloved thing which is just so like it's so out of left field. It feels so weird and creepy because she is a child, right? <laughs> and he yeah. is very old. Um, and it's such a, I don't know. It's it's. I feel like it's a pretty unnecessary thing, story beat to to have. You know, like it's. I they do that stuff in vampire movies, Dracula movies all the time. I hate it when they do that in Dracula. I think it's stupid, but like. It, does he really need more of a reason to go after her other than to mess with Charlie? Uh, yeah, I mean, or, or the fact that she's pretty. like Sure. I mean, if you want to be shallow be, about it, sure, Amanda. I mean, he clearly is. All he cares about is what she looks like. That's true. Um, but no, I, I think it's another case where, like, so much of this movie is also created as an homage around 
like classic monster movies mm. and like vampire flicks and i i think the inclusion of that is definitely like a nod to those old dracula movies mm. yeah yeah even if we don't particularly like that kind of style of storytelling or that plot point but it's it's just like the reference is why well, it's included what's interesting about that specifically is they always use that as a way to humanize the the bad guy like any time that they put that into Dracula, it's always to humanize uh, Dracula and make him seem mm-hmm. less of a straight up monster. Because mm-hmm. it's always like, oh, he had this lost love and he just wants to be loved by somebody. And so he's trying, <laughs> he sees this woman that looks like the reincarnation of the one woman he loved, which is why he has to do the bad things so he can get to the back to the love that he's missing. And in this one, it's just like, nah, she just looks like an ex-girlfriend of mine, so I'm going to bite her. Like, he's not, (laughs) Jerry's not, like, looking for anything. Like, there's no attempt to make him, uh, oh, I shouldn't say that. There's no attempt to make him, to humanize him or make him less than a monster, really, in the way that they traditionally do this stuff. He does get bits of uh, kindness, probably isn't the right word. But like th- that scene where he uh, bites evil in the alleyway is is really kind of uh, uh, what's the word? He, I, I don't want to say he's being compassionate, but it's just a uh, homoerotic. Yeah, this, that's the that's in there. <laughs> but it, but it's just like he's he's appealing. Obviously, he's he's kind. He's lying to him to some extent, but he's appealing to the clear uh outsider that evil is and offering him like a path that he can go down that will make him immortal or whatever and is not just biting him for the sake of biting him and killing him and stuff yeah no there 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 definitely is some sort of even if it's it's sort of like 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 um self-serving there's still a level of like i'm gonna extend this to you right right like i'm gonna i'm gonna offer you something right which which i think is like part of the whole seductive vampire thing is that like you the vampire figure is seductive because it's offering you something you're not getting in your normal life Mm. teeth so i teeth you're not getting enough teeth in your normal life. <laughs> if you're tired um, of your teeth growing straight and short, then become a vampire because you get a lot more of them and they go all sorts of different ways, apparently. All sorts of directions. Um, no, so I cannot move past Jerry Dandridge as a name. I love it. It's so good. <laughs> Like, there's no, like, uh, Malachi, whatever. Right, yeah. or <laughs> No, it's 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 so Jerry. great. It's just such a, you know, it's such a suburban, small town vampire name, you know? It's, why, why can't, <laughs> yeah. why can't he be named Jerry? He can and he will and he'll wear his Gap sweaters with pride. Yes, yes. Um... So what do you think about the character relationships? We talked a little bit about about uh, Evil and, and Charlie and even um, Jerry and, and Evil. But I, I think they are – Charlie and Amy are a very interesting 
uh, romantic couple because I never even really get the sense that he's all that into her. <laughs> yeah. And and if he is, it seems like their relationship is – it's weird because he very clearly, at the beginning anyway, wants to, to, to have sex and it be a, a more adult relationship. But he does not treat it that way in any sense of the word for the entire movie essentially because he's – He's blowing her off to to look at the guy next door who might be a vampire, and he's going to he's into Peter Vincent and all this kind of stuff. And it's it's he's it is a very their relationships are fairly childish to a certain point. Oh, absolutely! Like, yeah, they're the whole opening scene with Charlie and Amy sort of like rolling around in Charlie's room making out, mm-hmm. and then him pushing her to have sex her saying no and getting mad at him mm-hmm. him getting mad at her saying no and then her being like no oh, all right let's do it and him being like completely taken in by i forget if it was peter vincent or the neighbor moving in at that point mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's <laughs> first of all that scene does not age well yeah, well, you know, I like, would argue that it does because that stuff still happens very often. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure it does. I, I just mean more of like that. That's a, maybe I should phrase it this way. That's a tough introduction yeah. to Charlie yeah. if we're supposed to feel like he's the hero of the rest of the story. Yeah, you don't see Bilbo Baggins doing that in the first scene of The Hobbit. <laughs> Even Frodo, his privileged grandson, doesn't do that. Right. Or nephew or whatever. I don't know. Um, But yeah, yeah. The relationship between the two of them is sort of like, why are these two people dating? Mm -hmm. Uh, The relationship between Charlie and Evil is like, are they even friends? It's kind of hard to tell. Yeah. They seem like they're friends because they were the two losers at school who happened to sit next to each other. And they... Because he's... Charlie is not particularly nice to him at any point in the movie. No, he's really not. <laughs> he's kind of a dickhead across the board <laughs> to everybody. Yeah, Char- Charlie is an extremely unlikable uh, protagonist. Yeah. Um, Which goes to show you how much all of his friends and family care about him because they go well out of their way to uh, try oh, and help this oh, yeah. guy in, in what seems like a delusional uh, exploit. <laughs> yeah and um i i just i kept making jokes the whole time i was watching it about the fact that like there's so little chemistry between any of the actors and each other mm. except all of the actors and um god what's his name sarandon who plays uh jerry mm-hmm. like he has chemistry with everybody yeah i mean it's hard not to <laughs> But it's just so funny because it's just like Charlie is like ignoring his girlfriend to stare longingly at the man across the street. And it's (laughs) like it just throws off the whole. I don't know. I just found it hilariously distracting. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And even the and even uh, Jerry and his buddy there uh, whose name I can't remember. Is it Billy or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. His his house boyfriend. Yeah. They have a really interesting relationship that is 
you can read into it whatever you feel like reading into it, I guess. Uh, it's not explicit about anything, but there is definitely some underlying stuff going on there. I guess, you know, <laughs> what's interesting, too, is uh, I guess before they started shooting, the director, uh, Spider-Man's Tom Holland, did the uh, that thing where he asks the cast to write down biographies for their characters. Mm. And I feel like... Uh, y- Usually when I hear that, it's like, eh, okay, that feels like a theater school exercise kind of thing. But in a movie like this, I actually kind of appreciate it because the details about each character, like I was, like we were saying, doesn't really expand outside of the story that you're watching. Um, having that stuff, the actors having that stuff written out and they know where it's coming from informs a lot of the decisions that they can make. Like I know... Yeah. Uh, Sarandon and uh, Jonathan Stark, who played Billy, um, had like a whole thing worked out about how they had met and how they had been together for like uh, 800 years or something like this. And that's stuff you never see in the movie. But them knowing that affects the way that they're going to interact with each other in the movie. So, it's, right. yeah, that stuff is interesting to have underneath yeah, I, I actually, I didn't realize that that was, you know, kind of going on in the background of this. And, and it makes a lot of sense, mm. um, especially for characters like this, where they are going going to have these very long histories together. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we haven't talked about at all Peter Vincent yet, who is... God, I love him. <laughs> he is such a great character. Um, so much fun yeah and i'm i'm kind of surprised i guess he's sort of cut from the same cloth as like a doc brown type but he's very specific to uh horror movies because he's a televised um horror host which in the year 2020 is not a thing that really exists anymore there's a few of them but (laughs) uh yeah um we were watching last night your husband was was kind of making a joke about how Peter Vincent is apparently working for local cable, a local cable broadcast showing horror yeah. movies. And I said, yeah, that's actually that's what they did. They were all over the country from like the between the 1950s and I think probably around the 80s. I think they had started to really die out um, on all of these local channels. They would do these horror movie shows where you'd have a, a host dressed like, uh, you know, the, the the our first one was Vampira. Um, oh you yeah, had Zachary <laughs> was a big famous one for um, on the West Coast. I'm sorry, no, that's Philadelphia. Um, and uh, they're all kind of like campy representations of of horror movie characters who are kind of making jokes and 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 uh, snide comments about the the terrible movies they're showing. Um, and that's where Elvira comes from. Elvira is a yeah. essentially a distillation of all that stuff into the about a, the bustiest form, I guess. <laughs> the final form. Hello, darling. It's me, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, the sassy lassie with the classy chassis. Oh, thanks for bringing me into your home. Now, when are you going to clean up this dump? And Put some clothes on. Jeez. I know what you're up to. You think you're pretty smart, don't you? I'm as smart as a cook in a cheap chow mein joint. Oh, that's smart, huh? You know, 
the fact that you decided to stay home with me for the next two hours and watch this turkey tells me a lot about you. It tells me you couldn't get a date. That's basically correct. So you thought you'd get your jollies by watching she-demons. You're just hoping that some sleazy, cheesy, sexploitation flick with beautiful girls running around half-naked, their breasts heaving against their flimsy, shredded blouses, their milky white thighs beckoning from beneath their tattered skirts. That's what you're after, isn't it? Yes, precisely. So, I guess that means you're tired of me. And the so the only the only two like mainstream ones who still exist are Elvira and Joe Bob Briggs. Joe Bob Briggs is a little mm. bit different because he's not really like a I guess he's he he's there to tell jokes, but he's not as much of like a camp camp factor as as Elvira is. Elvira very much is still in that vein. Oh yeah. Um but yeah, it's it's a really interesting history that I I really am bummed that I never really got to to experience because it sounds like something that would be right up my I would I would totally be Charlie in this movie absolutely if I was in the in high school in the in the 80s when this stuff was going on oh yeah and I think that's part of what makes this movie so much fun is Mm. that if you're a fan of horror movies and scary movies even if you're like me and you think Charlie's kind of a goon you still see something of yourself in him right right it's just like, yeah, yeah, we probably like would have been reluctant friends in high school. Like yes. I probably would have said all sorts of awful shit about him to his face. Um <laughs> But we then would have been like, Yeah, but did you watch Fright Night last night? Yeah, I did. It was a really good one. You would you would be the person he comes to about the vampire stuff. You I'm evil Ed. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I yeah. mean, I don't really want to die as a weird wolf creature, but I'm I don't okay know. Maybe not Evil Ed. You might have been like Amy's friend who thought Charlie was kind of a kind of a nerd, but <laughs> at the same time, like, was kind of like, actually, you're using that steak wrong. You got to spin it around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fun fact: uh, <laughs> movie director Paul Thomas Anderson directed Magnolia, uh, Boogie Nights, etc. Uh, mm. His dad. Ernie Anderson was a horror host in Cleveland named Goulardi. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, Peter Vincent uh name comes from cross between uh Peter Cushing and, and Vincent Price. And he's very much a uh send up of the Vincent Price of the characters those two played in, in the fifties and the sixties mostly. And mm-hmm. uh he's just so much fun and he actually he's very similar to me to uh i don't know um i don't know how familiar you are with batman the animated series but there's somewhat did do you remember the gray ghost oh god it's it's an it's an episode where uh bruce wayne uh has to go meet this actor who played this character the gray ghost that he watched all the time when he was a kid uh and someone is committing crimes copying stuff from the gray ghost show and so he has to go team up with the actor who played the Grey Ghost in order to take this guy down. It's it's very similar to to this actually. That sounds really fun. Yeah, it is. It's it's one of the top top five best episodes of that show. All right, I'll have to track that one down because I I watched. I I know I have seen a good amount of um, Batman the animated series, but mm-hmm. I don't remember like in what order or how much like i have no reference point so i'll, I'll have to I'll well into that one if you're looking for a podcast to help you 
<laughs> guide your guide your way through Batman the Animated Series. I might plug, recommend plug, 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 plug. the Badass Podcast, where myself and DC Comics artist Sean Murphy talk all about the Batman the Animated Series show. But anyway, plug over. <laughs> um, how did you feel about the music in this? I mean, I thought it was great. Like, so much of this movie makes me laugh just because it is so, like, it it kind of takes all of the, like, 80s teen movie tropes Mm -hmm. and then a bunch of the older, like, monster movie tropes and just, like, cranks it up to 11 and then removes any of the excess and the fat, like, from it. Mm Mm-hmm to just distill it into this kind of pure ridiculous form and i feel like the music's a little bit like that too where it's just it's so 80s mm. but it's also so monster movie that it it's it's really fun yeah it's it this movie top to bottom is very much of its time uh whether yes. it's the fashion or the music choice like there's the music is this great synthesizer score done by Brad Fidel i think he's pronounced it Fidel or maybe it's Fidel i'm not sure um, Fidel's probably right. Who did the music for Terminator? Um, oh, yeah, and and uh, they, he's got this this motif that plays throughout this the movie, and then there's this great moment towards the end that for some reason just felt like such an of the era moment where Jerry is is about to seduce Amy, and he puts a tape into a tape deck and plays the music from Fright Night. Yeah, <laughs> like the the. <laughs> The, the 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 score to the movie he just has it on cassette tape. right <laughs> and that's his seduction music yeah and uh i i love uh his stuff and also uh the other fun thing is all of the other songs in this were specifically written for the movie and the scenes that they're in so oh that's why they're all kind of like campy horror movie songs is because they were written specifically for the movie which is pretty fun and the uh, the Jay Giles band song "Fright Night" that yes. plays at the end is definitely written for the movie. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to think of what else we uh, to talk about. I I do think there's there's one interesting comment that um, Peter Vincent says to Charlie that I wanted to bring up. Sure. Um, I don't remember the exact phrasing, but but he pretty much says. Uh, when he tells Charlie that he's broke and that Fright Night has been canceled and he's packing up and he's leaving, um, he says that all all people want to see now are virgins getting massacred mm-hmm. by psychopaths in ski masks. Mm-hmm. And I just I thought that was really interesting because I I, I think that quote is kind of like the whole ethos behind this movie? Yeah, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, we're we're like this this kind of hits smack in the period where like you know, you had this amazing boom of movies in the 70s that were all like, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and like Exorcist. You know, it, yeah, you- yeah, and you you had all of these movies that that were more about like existential terrors or or social terrors in terms of like serial killers and mass murderers and like one psychopath in a mask with a knife right right 
um, that moved you away from things like Frankenstein and the Wolfman and Creature from the Black Lagoon and, and Dracula. And this movie is sort of a love letter back to those older movies oh, in totally. a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, you mentioned uh, Monster Squad before, and it's very much in the mm. same vein as, as Monster Squad. Uh, I did I, when he said that line about uh, about the uh, hockey mask killers massacring virgins. My first thought was, uh, Peter, let me push my glasses up here. <laughs> clearly, clearly, you're not watching these movies because the virgins are not the ones who get massacred. <laughs> oh, Clay, this is why we're friends. <laughs> but no, I, I think you're I think you're 100 percent right and. What what's also interesting is uh, um, Tom Holland, uh, Marvel Spider Man, was yes. before this the the one of the reason that he got this job more or less was because he had written Psycho Two, uh, which oh, is really? a yeah, which is the, obviously the sequel to Psycho made twenty years after the original, and that's from nineteen eighty three which is right in the pocket of the slasher boom. So Psycho 2 is actually a lot bloodier than Psycho is. Psycho 2 is like a oh. direct re- direct response to the new era of horror movies that were being made. And um, so I wonder if that has something to do with it too, where he's he's coming off of writing a, a, a much more bloody version of Psycho uh, and following that up with Fright Night, which is almost like him <laughs> saying, you know... That stuff is fun, but I just, I, yeah, it, it doesn't have the finesse and the, the fun that, that these movies used to have. Yeah, that that's really interesting because especially considering like in the context of Fright Night where this movie, it, it has some great special effects, mm. but it's surprisingly nonviolent. Yes. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, there's not a lot of killing there's a lot of um i mean there is killing in the movie but like there's there's not a lot of you're not seeing a lot of like throats getting cut or anything like that it's a lot of it's mostly monster makeup right right like like most of the violence is perpetrated against the monsters at least the on-screen violence yes um yeah. like there's lots of like um once evil gets turned into a vampire and uh, Peter Vincent burns him on the forehead with the cross. And then eventually they have their big fight in Charlie's house. And then, of course, there's the climactic fight in uh, Jerry's house where, like, Billy, who is this sort of, like, human familiar kind of thing. Mm, yeah. Like, he's human, but he's not. So he he gets shot, but he also then, like, gets back up. So the violence against him is kind of different there's just compared to things like texas chainsaw massacre or even halloween or friday the 13th like there's not a lot of random innocent bystanders getting attacked like right except for those guys in the club (laughs) right there's those guys in the club but even when jerry comes into charlie's house to try to kill him one night he says something to charlie like you know, you better keep it down. I wouldn't want to have to kill your mother, too. Right, yeah. And he's kind of being serious. Like, he actually does leave the mom alone. Well, he gives Charlie an out. 
Like he, yeah. in that scene where he comes in, he's like choking him out and he says, if forget about me right now and this will be the end of it and we can both go our separate ways. And then Charlie obviously says no. Yeah. And his response <laughs> and is like, of- you idiot. Now I'm going to have to kill everybody. Yeah. He pretty much quotes Jack Torrance and just says, we'll forget the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, how did you how did you feel about about Chris Sarandon's vampire acting? Because he's so like <laughs> suave and cool when he's a human, but as soon as he gets like yeah to vampire form, he just like turns it up to thirteen. Yeah, yeah, I I I I don't know. I have such I have such mixed feelings because again, I think it's just I, I think it's almost distracting how much they emphasize how like suave and cultured and charismatic he is Mm -hmm. because it's like you can't give him sexual tension with evil ed i i don't know can you but you kind of but but it happens like you can read that into it and it's it's almost so extreme that it's distracting um does does there have to be a limit on who is attracted to the the seductive vampire no i i don't think there has to be a limit at all i actually i actually think it in in my my opinion it makes more sense that he is so compelling and overwhelming to almost everybody in the whole film Mm. because then it it justifies why everyone's having such a hard time just killing him already right right um but at the same time it's just weird in the context of this specific movie um because it it has this weird effect of like kind of emasculating charlie in Mm. in so many ways yeah and then yeah like you were saying once he transforms even a little bit like even just like his eyes go red or whatever um all of that disappears so fast that it's just, I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. It's almost like he's playing two different characters. Yeah. He, I don't, I don't know if maybe he's just like trying to project through the makeup or something, but he, he gets real weird <laughs> once he starts yeah, he turning does. into a monster. But there, there is uh, my other favorite part of the movie is when after he stabs him in the hand with the pencil and he starts to turn into the monster and he's like, getting all this fire up about talking about how he's going to kill him to kind of to your point of of avoiding collateral damage the mom wakes up and he does this sort of like like i clicks his eyes over like he doesn't want the mom (laughs) to catch them doing stuff after like curfew or something right like he's also a teenager who's gonna get in a lot of trouble if mom finds out yeah and it's so funny (laughs) and it's just such a really great beat where it's like even all of this just feels like so much fun is being had and it's even though it's kind of like a story about uh kids uh touching the void of of adult stuff it still doesn't really it still kind of feels like people playing monsters and stuff it's it's fun yeah so so something else i wanted to bring up that i think we're kind of skirting around a little bit Mm -hmm. as we talk about all of this how do you feel about how this movie handles uh, vampire lore and the sort of like quote unquote rules mm. around being a vampire? Uh, I I'm fine with it. I I don't have any. 
uh, hard hard line uh, vampire rules that I think need to be followed because for well first of all I don't know if they even know what they are in this movie <laughs> because yeah. they're kind of playing pretty fast and loose with stuff as they need it in the scene that they're doing because uh, sometimes the cross apparently Charlie is a very religious person because the cross works for him yeah. no problem every time he pulls it out well so so the the cross thing is honestly my main problem Mm -hmm. because it works i'm even okay with the concept of it only works if you have faith in it Mm -hmm. um i'm not okay with that concept as it's applied to peter vincent Mm -hmm. because he uses it successfully on evil Right, right. And then later on, it's like, ha-ha, it doesn't work on me because you don't have faith. And it's like, wait, but it worked on that other vampire. Right, which like, is a shame, too, because like that's such a great culmination for Peter Vincent to have yeah. his whole thing of, you know, uh, movie movie host for these shitty movies on the back, on on the last hole of his career uh he doesn't 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 have any belief in himself blah 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 gets pulled into this situation where he has to actually for real do the stuff that he does in this movie and that culminates with him actually being able to use this cross because he has the faith that it's going to work and he does believe in himself that's that would be yeah. fantastic but yeah they do kind of yeah. undercut it with the with the ed scene right they they could have had a literal come to jesus moment right yeah yeah. Um, yeah. So so that I bring it up because that aspect of it bothered me. I know uh when we were kind of doing our chat about it last night, I forget who it was, but maybe it was even a couple people brought up that they were they thought that uh evil's transformation into the wolf was kind of like stretching it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well now what is he a werewolf now? And mm-hmm. I'm like I'm actually willing to buy that because Dracula turned to werewolf. Exactly. Yeah. He could turn into a wolf. Like yeah. he he could turn into a bat and a wolf and I'm I'm willing to like let that ride. It was it was the inconsistency of the cross thing. Right. That yeah. bothered me. Well, you know, you bring uh, bring up that that scene with evil. Um I I found myself feeling really bad for him in this move this time around because <laughs> like he is such a outcast and he can't yeah. find a place in the world like Charlie thinks he's a doofus. Uh, Amy's nice to him, but he kind of doesn't really like him either. Um, Jerry lures him to the dark side with promises of finally having a place where he can fit in. And then he gets staked through the heart by Peter Vincent and then just dies this really horrible, uh, elongated death. And it's, you know, I, I... Peter Vincent has this look on his face as it's happening is like he feels real sadness for this guy who's this wolf who's turning back into a, a teenage kid and then just dying. And I, I was kind of right there with him. I was like, yeah, I feel really bad. Evil is just such a, a pathetic character that deserved deserved. A, he 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 could have done with a happy ending. Yeah, I, I actually agree. Um yeah, I feel like the character of evil, there is something like as as grating as I found him, 
um i called him like a proto matthew lillard sure yes <laughs> um but yeah there's there is something like pathetic about him in the literal definition of yes, pathetic yeah. like inspiring pathos like making you feel for him mm-hmm. um where it's like charlie is not that great either and charlie treats evil like shit right um and yeah there there is just there's something kind of just sad about the fact that like when jerry kind of comes to him and says you know take my hand and i will give you this you know this place to belong and he starts to cry yeah exactly as he like yeah and it is it's very like oh okay like to me that was extremely relatable like i i don't know about you clay Mm. but being a teenager sucked (laughs) yeah and like it can be extremely alienating to be a teenager and Mm -hmm. to have somebody who is powerful and older and suave and attractive say here like i you're gonna have a place with me you're gonna be you're gonna belong you're gonna be safe you're gonna be appreciated just just come with me like that's a very relatable desire to have oh absolutely yeah yeah um did you ever see the remake of this i did not no it's interesting what they what they do differently and one of the things that I, they do a little bit differently is well the, the mom sticks around the mom is actually a fairly prominent character which is interesting hmm. um and the other thing is when evil turns evil he's got a lot <laughs> more to do and so you get a little bit more of him like really reveling in the newfound power that he has mm. um so he actually he doesn't come off as as uh pathetic in that one as as he does in this one and i i, I don't know if if it's a if it's a change for the better or not i think mileage probably varies on that one yeah, I mean, I, I can see how it would be interesting to explore, like, a character that's similar to this version, but slightly in a different direction. Mm, mm. It's the remake. Um, the remake. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. Go ahead. I was just going to say the remake overall is, is pretty fun. It's not it's it's probably a lot better than it has any right to be. Um, and the highlight. <laughs> it's Colin Farrell, right? Yeah. Colin Farrell plays Jerry Dandridge. And uh, the highlight is. <laughs> I can't. I'm I know. Sorry. I I can't get over. I've I've watched this Gary movie five Gargich. times. Yeah. I've watched this movie five times, and I still can't get past Marcy Darcy from Married with Children playing like a sexy teen. I, it's see, I I didn't watch Married with Children, so that doesn't. Yeah, that must have that must that, have just. I think that was like just outside in that that valley between us age-wise probably um (laughs) but uh the highlight of this of the remake is Hmm. peter vincent played uh as a scummy vegas chris angel type by um, david tennant which is oh my god yeah it's a ton of fun i i would recommend (laughs) it it's it's a pretty fun watch and it's written by uh I believe it's written by Marty Noxon, who was a, one of the big writers oh. on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, that that actually sounds fun. Yeah. All right, yeah. I'm going to add that to my personal list. Yeah, def- definitely do. I, I used <laughs> to have a personal list, and then I started eight podcasts. Um, <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm I'm trying to finish my 
fucking master's degree this year, and I'm just writing about slavery and the Holocaust. So Ooh, yeah. my personal list is taking a backseat to just unrelenting horror. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad we can help add to that with, with this show. No, this is great. This is such an escape. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Um, um, yeah. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up? Uh, just real quickly, I would I would just like to say that um, women women don't fare well in this movie. No, they don't. There aren't many of them to begin with. Uh, there's two. Well, and, three um, if you ca- well four if you count the women that Jerry kills. <laughs> there's three that have fair. speaking parts. <laughs> fair. Uh, but, but you know, no, no, really. Let, let's let's count the two that Jerry kills yeah. because then that means that two of them get murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, one of one them, of them dis- yep, go disappears. Ahead. Yep. Technically, I was right. going to say, technically, the other two both disappear because Amy is very much taken off the board for like the last third of this movie. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is that like it, it's interesting? I I think about this movie. I, I I tend to do this. I tend to compare whatever we're watching and talking about to the to the things the last couple immediately prior. Mm-hmm. Um, so I keep I keep thinking about like you had made this really great point when we talked about the fly about how even though her boyfriend slash boss Stathis whatever his name was Stathis Borens how dare you forget the greatest name in (laughs) cinema history (laughs) I can't help it it's so bad um but you 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 made a really good point that even though he's brought in and and sort of helps in the final confrontation he's kind of immediately like removed from from action Mm -hmm. and then like Gina Davis is allowed to sort of like own how everything turn out and like save herself sure and this ending is very much the opposite of that ending mm, yeah do you know what i mean like yeah. like like amy's been kidnapped and taken away and and sort of seduced by the enemy and almost becomes the enemy yeah there's just like 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 she's essentially a non-entity for so much of the end of this movie that it's almost remarkable of how much her <laughs> character just disappears yeah well it's it's really kind of uh, much like the the source material they're drawing from uh very mm. much a traditional horror setup because i think i don't know if we've talked about about this at length at all but like uh ho- horror movies were were a male dominated genre till like 1968 Um, it was, most of the movies were more like this, where like, if you have your hammer movies or, or your universal movies, it's usually a guy who's the protagonist who has to save a woman from the clutches of the monster. Um, so, and it wasn't until you get to the late sixties and the seventies where that starts to shift. And it's one of the interesting things I, 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 I find about the shift into, the slasher type movies and how much um, misogyny gets thrown at them because, because the shift happens where uh, 
it now goes from women becoming the soul, uh, the damsels to be rescued by the men who who then fight the monster into now it's the women who are fighting the monsters who are almost who are almost exclusively male, and so it's it's a yeah. really interesting shift that happens. But yeah, this is this is a lot similar in setup to a classic uh, mid sixties, nineteen fifties, and before horror movie in that way. Yeah. Yeah, that that's actually really interesting how in um like later slasher movies there's a there's a weird like like merging of a couple different character tropes mm-hmm. where like women are still the damsel in distress in a way who needs to be saved, but they also start to merge into the role of protagonist. Right. Whereas the male figures are still there and like, you know, taking action and doing things, but they're also starting to merge into the role of villain. Right, right. Yeah. Whereas in this movie, it's much more clear cut. Like, here is the bad guy. Here is who he's after. Here is the love interest. Like, everybody's just sort of in their own little like silo. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and Amy, um, it's it's strange how much they take her. I I feel like ultimately the way she's used is fun in that they they give her the they kind of put the ticking clock on her to an extent where it's like she's going to turn into a vampire if they don't kill this guy, and so they take her off the board so Charlie and and Peter can can fight, and then they bring her back as this fully formed vampire monster at the end which i think is a lot of fun but uh yeah. as far as yeah as far as what she's doing in the movie she she does kind of get removed from the story for a, a decent amount of time yeah i i think part of just what bothers me is just that like i don't know if it's just me but i feel like she has a pretty well-formed character mm. pretty quickly yeah like we all have either known or encountered that that like type of girl in high school who like i don't know she's like she's a little more mature than her peers she's kind of like just kind of dealing with with them a little mm. bit um like i always really appreciate her relationship with evil ed mm like, I think it's this really interesting where they're not friends exactly, but they do seem to both understand each other in a way and they give each other a hard time, but they like, I don't know, their their interactions just feel very genuine to me. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like and they're, they, they have one thing in common and that's Charlie, you know, like that's right. a very, a very high school kind of relationship where it's like you have your friend, your friend has his girlfriend. You're fine with your friend's girlfriend, but it's not like you're going to hang out. <laughs> right, right. But there's there's something so authentic about the, the way that they then interact where it's halfway yes, between yeah. I don't even want to know you, but also like you're almost my little brother at this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so so to have her transition like very quickly into almost this other character where like all of her own like freedom of choice is completely removed from her. Like I, I know it is very, very much an homage to Mm. the older 
monster movies, but it's a little jarring and it's, it's, Mm. I, I think for me, like there was a comment I made when we watched this where I said, I always want at the end of this, like Charlie to, you know, he goes and he looks out his window at the very end of the house across the street. And I always wish like Amy stood up behind him and it turns out she was still a vampire. Mm. Just to give her back something of like, I don't know. Yeah, instead of... I don't know, I just feel like that would be more fun. I feel like that would be more interesting direction to take her character than, oh, she's just back to just being his girlfriend. Right, yeah. She's the... uh, She was the the prize that he won and and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. uh, Exactly. We were joking, though, about how the one thing that definitely probably is not believable about the end of this is uh, her going back to Charlie after being with Jerry Dandridge <laughs> at, at the very least she's going to be into exclusively college guys if not college professors yeah definitely but um yeah so just to wrap it up um this is number 110 on this list uh do you think that's too low do you think it's too high do you think it's it's uh appropriate I keep coming back to our um, where is the shining question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's at like 104, right? The shining is 101. I'm sorry, 103. Okay. (laughs) I I just, part of my my problem is like that is the only reference point I can really hold in my head. Right, yeah. And I feel like it skews all all the others because the shining should be somewhere in the top 15 or 20 yes yeah and so to think that this is only like seven spots away from the shining i'm just like absolutely not (laughs) no cannot be please move it please move it further up towards 200 yeah yeah but at the same time, if I look at it in the context of, like, the full list, I actually feel like it's it's not a horrible place for it. Yeah, I don't think it's bad. I think I would probably push it down a bit, maybe to, like, 120 somewhere. Yeah, okay, so <laughs> number 120 is The Exorcist. Would I... Oh, my God. Would I one-for-one one flip oh The Exorcist and Fright Night? Yes, I would. So... <laughs> Clay, what is wrong with this list? <laughs> yeah i don't know um who is rating these movies i don't know uh but yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff that's that's lower than than fright night the thing is 138 would i put this would i put fright night higher than the thing i would not um so i think there's a few there that you could just i would swap out and and totally be fine like if i guess i'm i guess i would say does does my feeling about it change if it's number 138? No, that feels appropriate. Does it change if it's 120? No, that feels appropriate. So I think somewhere in there, in that sort of like middle middle quarter yeah. or something like that, I think I think probably, uh, you know, the middle quarter. Yeah, somewhere between like 115 and 140. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay, I think that's going to do it for Fright Night. Um, this <laughs> I'm so is... jealous of how well you roll your R's. <laughs> this is Halloween. 
Uh, it's a spooky, spooky time. Do you have a favorite uh, Halloween candy and or movie that you watch every Halloween? Uh, I mean, so I feel like you can guess my favorite movie. Yeah, let's pick a different one. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you can, you can stick with that if you want. I'm not going it, to. I mean, it honestly like, is like. like Halloween is my favorite movie to watch around Halloween. Mm-hmm. It's just so perfect. It's it's got, you know, the jack-o'-lanterns and the kids running around in costumes and the leaves on the sidewalk and and the whole the whole nine yards. I I I don't really know if if you forced me to think of another one to say, I could probably come up with it, but I would need a minute. Mm. Um and in terms of my favorite Halloween candy, it's it's definitely Reese's Cups. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a ride or die, so ride or die Reese's peanut butter cup person myself. Really nice. Oh yeah, and you know nice. I I I don't know if I have one specific movie I come back to, but I do around Halloween time come to these. I, I skew more towards the uh, classic, um, sort of universal or Hammer type movies, which I I love in general, but they do very yeah. much feel. Uh, more Halloweeny because I think the, they're so uh, there's so much pomp to them, and the costumes yeah. are so more elaborate and stuff. And uh, it's weird. I actually kind of go back and forth because I remember when I was hmm. in high school, I would on Halloween I would always look for uh, either Friday the Thirteenth or a Nightmare on Elm Street movie to be playing on like AMC or something like that. Um. So it's kind of I kind of go back and forth, but I think if I had if you something with a monster more often than than like a killer like uh, Dracula or, or the Howling, I love the Howling, which is not a mm. is not a classic one. That's an eighties one, but it's still still it's <laughs> it is much like Fright Night. The Howling is very much a uh, homage to the classic kind of horror movie, which I think is a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I could see if, if you made me discount Halloween, I would say probably a, uh, you know, a good old Bella Lugosi mm. or something with Boris Karloff or, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. One of those. I, Frankenstein, uh, Dracula. The two things that are fighting for my uh, my money right now are the ultimate blu-ray collection of friday the 13th movies that they just announced and also yeah. the ultimate blu-ray collection of all of the universal horror movies which has been out for a while um Ooh. yeah i'm really conflicted as to which one of those i would like to own but <laughs> we should just split the difference and each of us get one and then we can share that's fine uh, sure why not <laughs> I'm, I'm down for that we'll just trade off whenever we want to watch when, when you want to watch return of the invisible man and i want to watch yes. Friday the 13th part 7 uh, then we can switch off <laughs> that sounds great I'm down <laughs> um, so yeah that's going to do it for Fright Night uh, I hope everyone has a happy Halloween I'm I'm bummed because usually we, we get together with friends and we do like a pumpkin carving and watch a couple horror movies thing Yeah. I guess we're not doing that this year um, probably not probably not so I hope everybody is having a good uh, socially distant time and not being the real monster and spreading disease yeah wear wear your mask even with your halloween mask yeah yeah 
So yeah, that's going to do for Fright Night. We will be back as scheduled previously with Wreck next time. So uh, thank you guys. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Clay. And we will see you next time. Bye, everybody.